Hi, welcome to Caring for the Clippers. I'm your host, John Delaray. Uh, the reason this podcast is named Caring for the Clippers is because people around Los Angeles like to say that nobody cares about the Clippers, and I don't think that's true. As a matter of fact, I know that's not true. And how do I know that's not true? I know that's not true because I care for the Clippers and I live in Los Angeles. So that is at least one person who does in fact care about the Clippers. And not only do I care about the Clippers, I have cared about the Clippers for a good 20 years. So much so that it has been rare that I've missed a minute of any game, either in person or on television. I'm a big Clipper fan, I know a lot about the Clippers, and that is why I'm making this podcast. Today, on today's podcast, we're going to get into the Warrior game for sure, which was just a great, fantastic victory. We're going to take a look ahead to the Spurs game, but first, what I'd like to do is um, play a little game, if you will, and that is a game related to the media and their preseason thought about the Clippers' first 14 games which I will call the Bah-ha-ha Clippers 14 game death march because that's the way the media was looking at it. When you read about the Clippers and how their season was going to go, invariably, regardless of what magazine, what website you were reading, what newspaper you were, whatever, whatever medium it was that you were reading, it said the Clippers after 14 games would be buried because of their opening bah-ha-ha 14-game death march. Well, let's take a quick look back at that death march and see just exactly how bad it is, because I think at this point the Clippers were supposed to be 5-8 and eight going on 5-9, and nine, and that's not where we are. We opened the season in Denver and took a, a nine, no, we opened the season, I'm sorry, at Staples, at Staples, and we lost to the Nuggets, and that definitely I took, and I think at that point, even I was starting to question the way they looked at first game, I thought we were perhaps embarking on a ha Clipper 14-game death march. But then we went, then, then Oklahoma City came to town without, granted, without Russell Westbrook, and we beat him, even the record at 1-1. Then Houston came in, and Houston didn't have James Harden, but they did have Chris Paul, and we beat him by three in a close game. Nice win for the Clippers there. And then we went down to New Orleans, and we lost that game by seven. At this point, other than the Houston game, everything was kind of going as planned. We'd beaten Oklahoma City, we'd beaten Houston, but we'd lost at New Orleans. I think the media probably would have put us right now at one and three instead. We were two and two. But then, then we went to Houston, and we beat him by 20 behind Montrezl and his 30 points. Big game five right there. That game that game is big. And somebody was missing. I can't remember if it was Paul or Harden, but somebody was missing from that game. And yet, I don't even care if anybody was missing, to be honest. You go into Houston and you win. And that was a game Houston needed, too. They were off to a bad start, as they still are. Anyway, we were 3-2 and two then. Then, we, uh, then Washington came to Staples, and we crushed them by 32. Uh, at that point, we were 4-2, and two, and I was feeling really good. But then we went on a little three-game road trip. We went to Oklahoma City and got beat pretty handily. And then we went to Philly and got beat pretty easily. And in both games, we looked competitive for a while. But when, team, when both those teams turned up the defensive pressure in the second half, the Clippers sort of fell apart. And that was concerning to me. So at that point, we were 4-4, four and four, and the 
Clipper Death March was definitely in play potentially. The next game, in my mind, most people think it was a forgettable game, but to me it might have been our most important game thus far this season. We went into Orlando on a back-to-back, and if we didn't have any heart, or if the Clipper Death March were going to actually occur, we would have lost that game. But instead, we went into Orlando, and we beat the Magic by 25 points. That was a statement game for the Clippers to the Clippers. I think the locker room decided on that game that, hey, we're in this together, and we're going to have a good season. I feel, That game was a big game. At that point, we were 5-4. and four. Minnesota comes to town. Minnesota had a good game that day. That day, They played us tough. We ended up pulling away in the fourth quarter, won that game by 11. Uh, we went up to Portland and played a good game up there, but we lost. We lost by 11 to, to the Trailblazers, but there's no shame in losing to the Trailblazers uh, up in Portland. But at that point, we were 6-5, and five, but guess what? There would be no Clipper death march because the worst at that point we were going to do was 6-8. and eight. But the last two games have, have absolutely upped the ante. The last two games have raised the stakes, my friend. We beat Milwaukee and Golden State in remarkably similar games, both in overtime with the Clippers sort of showing, up, showing the exact same box score game to game. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the Warrior game now. So anyway, well, back to the Clipper Death March. The Clipper Death March, now we're 8-5. and five. There will be no Clipper Death March. As a matter of fact, there may be a Clipper Heaven March, set in a much different tone. A Clipper Heaven March, if you will. Perhaps a Clipper Path to the Playoffs, which is what I'm sensing from this team, barring injury. So next up are the Spurs. Uh, we'll talk about them in a bit, but... That's a winnable game. We're probably going to be slight favorites. And if we manage to win that game and end the 2018 Clipper death march with a 9-5 and record, the pundits are going to have to apologize to me and the rest of the Clipper family because we will have come through it looking like a probable playoff team. Anyway, on to the Warrior game. Let's talk about the Warrior game. Warrior game was was absolutely fantastic. Um, again, there's you got to have concern about the the fourth quarter of both the Warrior game and the Bucks game. And I almost feel like I could roll out the same podcast I did after the Bucks game for the Warrior game. That's how similar they were. But there were a few plays that did that did stand out. Uh, unquestionably, unquestionably, my favorite play of the Clippers Warriors game is when Draymond got. Uh, matched up with Shea, I think it was early in the fourth quarter, and Draymond did what Draymond should do, which is take take Shea directly into the paint, and he went to throw up kind of a little jump hook, and Shea rejected it. He put that sucker right back on Draymond Green. You know Draymond's not happy about that, but Draymond, being Draymond, grabbed the ball, looked angry, and looked very determined. And at that point, he kind of he had bumped Shea back, so Shea had no chance to stop the shot. And he went up to basically the exact same shot, but this time with a little bit more force. But guess who had Shea's back? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was Montrezl. And Montrezl, Montrezl rejected Draymond back-to-back rejections, remarkably similar. I, we came down. And Lou took a bad shot right after the blocks. Like we got on a little mini break from the back-to-back blocks. 
And I, I felt like that was when we could have maybe put the Warriors away once and for all with a bucket. But Lou, you gotta, you know, hey, you live and die with Lou. That's what we might just call Lou, live and die Lou. Because you're, we're gonna win games because of Lou and we're gonna lose games because of Lou. That's just the way when you have Lou, that's just the way you roll. Anyway, Lou took a, what I would consider to be a relatively bad 20-foot on-the-run shot that really didn't come too close. If it goes, the momentum is tremendous, and the crowd goes crazy, and the Warriors probably call timeout. But that's a fictional world. That did not happen. That is fantasy land. What did happen is the shot break, the Warriors got the ball, and I think they came down and scored, and we had a ball game. Still, I love those back-to-back blocks. My other, Another play that stands out to me is during Shea's magical six-point run in the second quarter. And anybody who's a Clipper fan and watched the game knows about the magical six-point run. It's just Shea becoming more Shea. Uh, Shea scored and scored again, and then Shea did something that NBA players rarely do. He jumped in and stole an inbounds pass. His timing was perfect. Do you know how hard it's got to be to have to steal an inbounds pass in the NBA? I mean, these are phenomenal athletes that are anticipating you being a phenomenal athlete. And when you go to throw the ball, you're anticipating that the guy who's coming for the ball to be very quick. But Shea read it, timed it perfectly, stole it. Then he he stole it and he had to beat Quinn Cook. And he came down on the right side and he momentarily held the ball out in his right hand like a grapefruit and paused and did what Shea does, which is adjust his, his pace. He adjusted his pace to ensure that he could make the shot. He held the ball like a grapefruit in his right hand, slowed down, watched Quinn Cook go by, and banked in a little like two-foot runner. It was just, it was a thing of beauty. If, if, if I had a video cast rather than a podcast, I would right now show that play 10 times in a row. And you would be forced, if you wanted to continue on with the video cast, to watch every single replay that I put up. So anyway, I uh, can't say enough about Shea, um, who had continues every game. He's having his best game as a Clipper. Let's take a quick look at the stat sheet. Uh, Shea played 38 minutes. Um, again, second most on the, on the team, this time only behind Tobias. Uh, he went 8 of 11 from the floor. He also went 0 of 3 from 3, meaning Shea went 8 for 8 on anything that wasn't a three. That's what my quick mathematical mind tells me. He also went two and two, two of two from the free throw line, meaning anything inside of 22 feet or whatever it is, Shea made. So that means Shea, Shea scored 18 points. Shea had five rebounds, three assists. He also had two steals and a block. Just Shea right now is uh, just a box score stuffer. And that's like an old person term, but I'm calling him a stuffer. And you can laugh at me, but Shea is a stuffer. Shea stuffed and stuffed. Um, between Shea and Montrezl, the Clippers went 18 of 24 from the field and shot 75% from the floor because Montrezl was once again an absolute beast, as the kiddies say. The kiddies say beast, and I don't think I can ever remember any athlete that owns the term more than Montrezl does right now. He is a beast. He scored 23 points. He had eight rebounds. And he's small. I mean, he's not tall. He's not a tall guy. He's large. I mean, he's strong. 
but he comes away with some rebounds in traffic that he has no business getting where he just he flies in at the right angle so he doesn't get a foul called kind of bumps guys out of the way and just yanks down rebounds and he had a couple more just awesome Duncan yells when Shea drove to the left and threw that kind of over-the-shoulder high pass to Montrezl. It wasn't a great pass, but Montrezl made it look great. He caught it, bounced, dunked, and yelled, which is what Montrezl, Montrezl does. Catch, bounce, dunk, and yell. And then Montrezl went back and played awesome defense, which is what Montrezl does as well. Uh, he also had an assist and a steal, and he had four blocks. It's a guy who's like six, seven and a half. Is Montrezl, can somebody check? Is Montrezl six, seven and a half? Okay, Montrezl six, six, eight. Montrezl 6'8", for the record. Uh, so we had some, some once again, some great Shea times, some great Montrezl times. Uh, Lou, and to, to, make, to make the game even seem more eerily similar, similar to the Bucks game, in Lou's post-game interview, he once again called himself Trash. So Trashy Lou, Trashy Lou, what else do we call him? Live and Die Lou? Trashy Live and Die Lou. Uh once again, you know, was our was our hope in the in in overtime. Uh, he's the one guy who, at this point, seems to be willing to carry us through the moment when the stakes get high. Uh, Lou seems to be the guy willing to lead us to victory, and I'm so thankful Lou's on the team because without him, uh, the 14 game death march might have been a reality. Another huge play that nobody will talk about in that game is in overtime. Clippers quickly fall down by three. Things are starting to look bleak. Uh, and Montrezl gets matched up against Kevin Durant. And I don't care whether Montrezl, I call him Montrezl, by the way, because no L's are silent in the English language. Montrezl did a little rip through, and Kevin Durant did reach in. It wasn't a hard hit, but it was definitely a slap on the wrist. And I thought, I thought Durant had already got through, got by a couple times with fouls. So I think that foul deserved to be called. Anyway, that, when Durant went out, it meant all we had to do was focus on Clay. And Clay's such a great player. I thought the effort on Clay was good, but Clay got hot. And when Clay gets hot, he's nearly impossible to stop. Uh, we were trying, I know Patrick Beverly was trying to chase him around. That wasn't going particularly well. They were running him off screen after screen, and we weren't doing a great job switching. So Clay almost, almost won the game by himself. But in the end, Lou pulled us through. Lou hit that driving layup, and then Lou gave James Looney the old pump fake three and uh, got his three free throws. And of course, Lou, like Danilo, they don't miss free throws. So, and that that's, by the way, on a quick tangent, that's such a wonderful difference compared to the past few years. When with Blake and DJ, DJ was the most obvious, but there were just, seemed like all the members of the team, with the exception of the hated Chris Paul, just couldn't make their free throws. And this year's team, when they go to the line, I didn't care if it's Montrezl. I think they're probably going to make two of two every time. So um, going to the line now is not something where I end up biting my nails and scrunching my toes together and hiding my head under the covers. Now I stare down the television set. I look the television set in the eye, and I'm like, we're making these two free throws, mother so, anyway, um, and a great victory because, by the way, Danilo and Tobias, our two main scorers, the two guys who really take on the bulk of the responsibility for the scoring, combined went 10 of 30 
and only scored 31 points. So when the, for us to, to win a game against the Warriors with our two main scorers both having off nights, that's really saying something. These Clippers are, are a good little team. And hey, welcome to, well, welcome to the party, Martin Gortat. Where have you been all my life? Martin Gortat finally decided to show up. Martin Gortat was plus nine last night, second best compared to Patrick Beverly of all people. Uh, Martin Gortat in 21 minutes had 12 rebound, uh, had 12 points and six rebounds, and he just looked like a different player. He was moving more fluidly. He looked involved. He was setting screens up high the way Doc wants him to. If you're a big Clipper fan, you can tell if Martin is is involved or not based upon whether he's setting a high screen, like at the top of the key. If he's just running into the paint and trying to get a post up, then Martin is forgetting what he's supposed to be doing because Doc has specifically asked Martin to start the offense by setting picks up high for our guards. That's what gets us into our offense. So keep an eye on that. Speaking of Doc, I thought Doc almost blew this game. And this is Doc's grade, which I moved up as a coach. He'll always be an F general manager. But as a coach, I moved Doc clear up to a B plus. And this is starting from like a D this season. Uh, that's where I thought he was going to end. But now he's up to a B plus. He was having, he was doing well. And then for some reason, yesterday in the second quarter, he decides it's time to put in Ty Wallace and Sindarius Thornwell at the same time. I don't understand that. I, these are guys that haven't been playing at all. We're playing the Warriors with a 10-point lead, and all of a sudden it's time to put in players number 11 and 12 on your bench. Ty Wallace seems to be a usable piece to me. He's, he's kind of um, Swiss Army knife-ish because he can do so many things. He can play point guard, he can play small forward, he can defend, he can rebound. He kind of can do a lot of things kind of fairly well. He's never going to wow you. He's never going to be a guy that's going to lead your team to a championship or anything. But he seems like a usable piece. Sindarius, I'm not so sure. I'm just not so sure about Sindarius. Sindarius, I guess, plays hard-nosed good D, and I did notice that Clay didn't seem to shoot as well when Sidarius was guarding him. But Sindarius's offense is really not good. Uh, he seems to even have, like, basic trouble dribbling sometimes when he has to dribble with his left hand, which is something they teach you in grammar school. Uh, Sindarius made one move that I remember uh, last night. He got the ball on the left wing late in the second quarter, and he decided it was time to put it on the floor. So he went right, as I think Sindarius is most probably comfortable doing, and it, I think it's his only real chance to score. And he dribbled straight into like three Warriors who were standing in the key having a tea party. And Sindarius then kind of flopped over when he met the three, when he bumped into the three Warriors, and just basically handed them the ball. Uh, he was like, he was like serving hors d'oeuvres to the Warriors. Uh, just here, here's some cheese and crackers. You guys go score now. I'm I'm out. So, and speaking of of serving things, if you're watching Clipper broadcasts, they're rotating the color guy. I'm going on a tangent here, so forgive me for a sec. But Corey Maggette loves to say that Lou Williams is serving dessert when Lou scores, and Corey's got to stop that. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know what it's supposed to mean. It sounds awkward. I don't, I don't think 
I, I think my hors d'oeuvres thing with Thornwell was actually far superior to Corey Maggetti and his dessert thing, and I'm slightly embarrassed by my hors d'oeuvres thing. So if anybody bumps into Corey, maybe on the street, or if you're a friend of Corey's, and you might be because you're listening to this podcast, and Corey announces the game, so maybe you're a Clipper guy, please tell Corey to lose the serving dessert thing. It's, it's not working. It's just not working for him. Anyway, um, back to the game. Uh, we're kind of wrapping it up here, but again, Lou, Lou kind of carried us at the end. Oh, one thing that made me, last thing I'll talk about here briefly uh, that made me very happy is noted gunner Mike Scott got in the game, and the minute that he did, um, he decided it was time to start gunning, and that made me happy because the first time Mike Scott touched the ball, he took a shot, and that's what gunner Mike Scott does. So Gunner Mike Scott, we're going to always take a look at Gunner Mike Scott for now. Played 17 minutes, went 3 of 5 from the field, 0 from 1 from 3. But Gunner Mike Scott had 7 rebounds in 17 minutes and generally played very, very strongly, I thought. His plus minus was plus 6. So way to go, Gunner Mike Scott. Good, 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 good by you. Good by you, Gunner Mike Scott. And now we're going to move on and take a quick look at the San Antonio Spurs roster. Uh, this will be Thursday night's game. Uh, the the Spurs are led unquestionably by LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan. Those are their main players. They get help from um, Rudy Gay, Patty Mills. But if you want to beat the Spurs now, you need to shut down, first and foremost, LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan. So who is going to, who are, who on the Clippers is going to be the most successful guarding those guys. I think they'll probably put Danilo on LaMarcus, and I think that's a pretty good matchup for us. And then Montrezl will certainly get some time on LaMarcus. And DeMar, if Avery Bradley is back, he'll guard him. Certainly if Luke Mabamute is back, he'll get some time on him. Patrick Beverly, I think, can guard DeMar DeRozan. DeMar can be guarded by a guard, which in the Clipper world these days is what we want. We want the other team's leading scorer to be a guard because we have guards that defend. Patrick Beverly defends, Shea defends, Avery Bradley when he's healthy defends, and Milos absolutely 100% does not defend. Milos can only get in the game tomorrow if, let's see, who can be in for, there's a, uh, let's see, maybe Lonnie Walker? I think there's a chance that that Milos can guard Lonnie Walker, um, and he might be able to chase around uh, Marco Bellinelli, who um, me and my sons call Marco Big and Smelly. But anyway, that's a story for another time. So one thing that concerns me tremendously is it could be the breakout game for Derek White, a 6'4 guard out of Colorado who is maybe one of the most underrated players in the NBA. He's a Colorado Buffalo who in college was absolutely dominant. He was the first pick in 2017, uh, first round pick in 2017, 29th pick of the draft. Uh, And as a Colorado Buffalo, he is phenomenal. Watch out for him tomorrow. But ultimately I'll predict that the Spurs will come in, they'll do their thing, they're gonna be well coached, but the Clippers are on a roll right now. I don't see this train stopping on Thursday night because of the San Antonio Spurs. I see our forwards having big games. Uh, I think that you're going to see uh, Danilo and Tobias both get up into the mid-20s. 
Shea will continue to improve uh, or continue to set set one record after another. And I'm going to go right ahead and predict another another victory in a nine and five record for the LA Clippers after their 14 game death march. So, you know, way to go, Clippers. Um, just got to say, I care about the Clippers, and I hope you care about the Clippers. Out. <laughs>